Welcome everybody to episode 10 of the Never Watchers podcast, the Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast where one of us, myself, Pete Beckett, has actually watched the movies, where we go through it for the first time and watch it uh, watch it together with the Never Watcher himself, Kurt Lewin. Hello everyone. How you doing mate? Yeah, excellent. Bank holiday yeah. Monday. Oh yes, they're, they're always good. So to anyone who's not familiar with them because uh, on another podcast earlier today I did hear that the Americans are not very familiar with bank holidays so they just there's like eight of them in our calendar across the year isn't it where they just they shut down for a day because the banks just shut and I don't know why it is I it must have happened many many years ago but I just don't remember why it happened so anyway eight extra days a year off not going to complain ever <laughs> so what have you uh, what have you done with your bank holiday Monday? Uh been playing a game called Parkitect. So I'm a big Excellent. fan of theme park builders. Uh, and I, well, and uh, as you've already said, uh, I, you've been doing your second podcast. Yeah, so I, I run a gaming podcast um, where we had a lot of technical issues yesterday, and we had to record it today. So. I literally got finished recording probably about an hour and a half ago and only finished editing about 10 minutes ago. So let's go on to sec- on to the second one. That's, you know, that's kind of boring for everyone else to hear about. So we're going to talk about an interesting movie, Captain America, The Winter Soldier. Uh, this is the third movie of the uh, of phase two of the MCU. So uh, I'm going to run down the cast list and then we'll uh, we'll talk about the about the plot uh, but before we talk about the plot, obviously, we'll talk about what our opinions on the movie was. So, uh, reprising the role as um, as Captain Captain America or Steve Rogers is Chris Evans. Uh, also reprising their role as Nick Fury is Samuel Jackson. Scarlett Johansson uh, reclaims her role as Natasha Romanoff and Black Widow. Uh, this is where we get some new introductions. So, we have Robert Redford as Alexander Pierce. Uh, Sebastian Stan as Bucky Barnes or the Winter Soldier. Anthony Mackie as Sam Wilson or the Falcon. Um, returning is Colby Smulders as Maria Hill. Uh, we have Frank Grillo as Brock Rumlow. And uh, Maximiliano Hernandez as Jas- Jasper Sitwell. Uh, there are a few more in here, but the cast of this is quite extensive of this movie. So those are the big players within the movie. Um, so what did you think? Uh, this is... Um my by far my favorite one so far oh okay can i tell you now you're not alone this is one of the most well-regarded movies in the entire mcu yeah like there are there aren't many people out there who absolutely despise this film and there are very few out there who criticize it quite heavily well yeah I, i i I'd be interested to hear what the criticisms are later on. Uh, but yeah, I, I really, really loved it. Yeah, it's. I think it's a really enjoyable movie, especially this is now the fourth time I've watched this one. Yeah, there aren't many people who criticise this movie quite heavily. I have a couple of nitpicks, if I'm honest, uh, regards to the filmmaking aspect, because I've been a previous watcher. I do tend to have a look at the... Um, choice of shots and all that if you haven't previously listened before i'm coming from filmmaking aspect you and kurt is coming from the first from a first watcher so general enjoyment of the the film subject material etc 
I have, like I said, I have a couple of nitpicks, but they're very, very minor nitpicks, like yeah. really minor. So, so uh, my yeah. So I, I kind of, I'd say that for me, uh, one of my favourite superhero films um, is Spider-Man Two, and mm-hmm. I think this film is up there with Spider-Man Two. I wouldn't uh, disagree. Like, I wasn't the biggest fan of Spider-Man 2 upon a first watch, but after subsequent viewings, it grows on you, yeah. for me anyway. This I'd, one is yeah. mostly the same, I would say, because I didn't, I didn't enjoy this as much the first time around, but I think... Um, I don't think I'd watched a couple of other movies leading up to it, so some of it was a bit confusing. Right. Um, but now, within the, the guise of watching the entire thing in order this makes so much more sense to me Mm. and it definitely um, will lead into fair few um, integral themes that are going to go through the entire you know rest of phase two and vast majority of phase three actually so uh, this does set up some really interesting key points whilst also um, uh, whilst returning to things like you know various themes like Hydra and all that sort of thing from um, Captain America: First Avenger. Yeah. So we delve into uh, the plot. Uh, yes, sorry, I did have to say that this film was written by Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely, who also were on the um, the writing team for uh, Captain America: The First Avenger and for The Dark World. But this is the first movie of, I'm not going to say which movies, but quite a few now that have been directed by Joe and Anthony Russo. This is the first one that I actually made in the MCU. Right, I have. Okay. Um, what have they? I have heard those names before. What? Other, yes. What films have they done that affect quite? Uh, they they actually haven't done many films, so this actually does bring us onto a piece of trivia that Kevin Feige selected Joe and Anthony Russo to direct the film on the basis of their two back-to-back episodes of Community, the TV show, um, which they directed, in which Fe- uh, Feige was impressed with season two, episode twenty-three, a fistful of paintballs. And season season two episode twenty four a fist a few more paintballs. All right. Yeah. So have they done any was, films? Uh, the mo- uh, they have done a few. I believe it, without actually looking directly like quickly. I believe they have directed a Chadwick Chadwick Boseman movie, but I can't remember the name of it to be honest. But I'm gonna, just going to have a quick look. So, uh, I'm. Like I can't go into quite a lot of detail about some of the other films that they have produced in the MCU, so that's all I'm going to say. Uh, right, let me take a look. What's so, been my extraction? Um, most of like it looks like the vast majority of the stuff that they were doing up until they did um, uh, Captain America was all TV shows. Right. Uh, they directed an episode of Agent Carter. Um, Unless I, th- I think I must have heard the name just through them their work with Marvel films. Then uh, you like probably through. have because after this movie, they become big players within the the vast majority of the um, the MCU yeah. itself. So it w- it don't, wouldn't surprise me by you know osmosis, you would actually hear the names. Yeah. Okay. So shall we go into the plot? Yeah. So um, it's two years after the Battle of New York and uh, Steve Rogers is now working as an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. 
yeah. uh, is kind of still acclimatizing to this modern day that he's now in. Yeah. Uh, he's on a jog, and we see Natasha Romanoff when <laughs> whisk him away uh, yeah. to go on a mission to a shield vessel that has been um, been taken over by pirates, um, and they've yeah. got to rescue the hostages. Um, mm. But there's kind Can of I, a yep. I'm just going to stop you there. You said on a jog. He's on a jog. Oh yeah, well no, it's yeah. It's no, no. A... <laughs> for, for most, it's a sprint. For him, yeah. it's a jog. But yeah. um, obviously, this is where this is the big introduction of Anthony Mackie's character, um, uh, Sam, Sam Wilson. Yeah. yeah. Which, I mean, let's go into that scene specifically and his introduction because I think this is fantastic. This is excellent. Like this is the way to introduce a character. I think. You don't really see, obviously, what his skills are. But you get the, the understanding that these two guys are complete strangers, but yet they hit it off so quickly. And it's literally just the whole line of on your left that does it. Yeah. Because he runs around, obviously, and then it gets further down the line. And he's like, Steve comes up to him again. And he's like, he just says, on your left. And then at the top, by the third time, like Sam's literally like, don't say it, don't say it. And then when he <laughs> says it, he's like, oh, God. It, oh, it had me in stitches. I, I love this scene. And then their conversation afterwards. It's just, it, it's, it's just brilliantly done. It's really, yeah. really tight, um, tight writing, a real understanding of the characters as well. And I've really liked it. Yeah, I'd agree very natural yeah. exactly yeah like it didn't it didn't feel forced at all it just felt like that it felt like um chris evans and um anthony mackie had some real natural chemistry going for them as well and it's they just enjoyed playing these parts yeah so uh yeah so yeah they were on the uh this ship uh it's mm. called the vessels called the lemurian star uh i was uh, okay i'd never uh did they say that specifically in the movie? Because I don't no, remember I'm just picking looking up on at, that. Uh, I, well, I'm just looking at the uh, the plot here now where it oh, okay. says the name. Oh, okay, fair enough. But I assume it must do for it to be highlighted. Or it might uh, be written on the side of the boat. I, I um, would imagine so. Otherwise, you know, I didn't notice it, but so uh, enough, There's a lot of stuff that people don't notice. So the, the main aim is to rescue the hostages, but there's a bit of a twist because Natasha's been given... Um, the task of extracting a sh some shield intelligence onto a USB mm. drive, and which Rogers doesn't know about. Uh, yeah. This is something that Nick Fury's told her to do, um, and it, mm. but it does put the mission in jeopardy. Uh, yeah, I do like the acknowledgement by Black Widow there, where she, you know, after the explosion happens, she looks at, yeah. she looks at Cap and goes. Yeah, that one's on me, but he just looks back and looks really angry at her. It's like, I think, you know, Roger's always followed orders, but now I think yeah. it looks like he want he doesn't, he's not interested in following orders after everything he's seen so far since coming to the future. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, they do manage to escape and they go back to the Driskelion. Is that how you pronounce it? Uh, I believe so. Um, which is basically the uh, base, um, the shield. Oh and, yeah, yeah. It's their 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 big like 
warehouse type where, warehouse office building it it doubles up as quite a few things doesn't it yeah it's massive it's got like this well, huge got th- lift three um, heli carriers in there yep alright and then a bunch of like alright there's a bunch of um, fighter planes that are on top of the, the heli carriers and helicopters and all that sort of thing you know it's also locked underground to where no one else can find it without the clearance you know yeah Sounds like shady it's, government organisations to right, me. It's going you know. to cost the government a huge amount of taxpayers' oh, money. Absolutely, and it costs <laughs> them massively, like more so later on in the film, anyway. But um, yeah, when, this, when it's, yeah. <laughs> now this is—I uh, really love this bit because it's another, like, another really impactful and brilliantly delivered, like, scene of exposition. But the dialogue between Sam Jackson and uh, Chris Evans, where um, Samuel Jackson is talking about his uh, his grandfather who worked in a lift, oh, it's it's so good, it's so so good. I, it doesn't add anything to the movie, but it it just shows that developing relationship between them. That yeah, he can like Steve doesn't trust him at all, like in one bit, but by giving off these little bits like little nuggets of information to to Steve it makes him want to trust him a little bit because he's not quite the the lying sociopath that Nick Fury is really so it's it's really like really weird but it's so so impactful again and I think that's going to be a common theme throughout this is most of the dialogue hits home and is really 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 impactful yeah I think part of that is because the the number of main characters in this one, um, like every character gets a lot of screen time. Yeah, they do. Whereas in um, like the Avengers film, uh, it's quite um, you cut in a lot from one character to the to the next, which is is understandable. But um, uh, yeah, like I it, in this film, I can distinctly remember Sam. Uh, Rogers, Natasha, and Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah. Uh, so, I, I, for some uh, reason, I, yeah, I went from actor name to character names. Then, but, yeah, uh, I've <laughs> I've done that a couple of times. Don't worry, I think that's my problem there. Uh, but yeah, uh, that's yeah. Uh, so yeah, they're, they're talking I've... about uh, Project Insight, which is um, the next generation of Shield. So these three helicarriers that they're building. Um, they're going to launch into the air, and mm-hmm. they they they're being built because they'll be able to basically no, just kill anything that's classed as a hostile hostile target. Uh, yeah. And Rogers isn't keen on this idea. He, no. He, his exact quote is, "This isn't freedom. This is fear." Yeah, and he obviously looks at that from the very angle of what he, you know, in World War Two, obviously, the way that Hitler obviously enacted their ideas and the Nazi party did, is through the same principle. But, you know, Sam, um, sorry, Nick Fury is obviously trying to, to disguise it as national security. Uh, it doesn't really work. And I think they specifically mentioned the whole, you know, preemptive versus, um, what do you, what's the words like? Uh, reactionary mm. isn't it so yeah. they, they specifically even mentioned that and then you know that's where 
obviously Steve gets quite uh, annoyed, let's say, and he starts to, he definitely starts to not listen to his orders as much, especially after that, like we said in the opening scenes with um, Natasha having to, having her own set of like missions that compromises the entire mission, nearly. Yeah. So, so anyway. After after this, um, we have a scene, like, I just wanted to bring it up to it's a short scene and it doesn't really have that much impact in the grand scheme of the film but he goes back to uh, visit Peggy Carter yeah um now the only thing i wanted to bring up here was that i th- i could really tell that this was maybe i'm wrong but i i th- i thought you could really tell this was a young person with an old person's face on hmm it like w- the makeup in what way? Can you explain that? I just a didn't. Bit I just didn't think it looked very natural. And the 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 other thing was that, um, like I'd be interested to look at the credits because the yeah. the actress who plays Peggy, like origi- yep. in the original, yeah, um, it is it is it's, also it's, Hayley Atwell, by the yeah, way. That just do, then, yeah, you know. Yeah, that's that's the thing. It doesn't surprise me. Um, yeah. It, to me, it looks. It, I just thought it was a makeup job that mate I, th- I think what the problem was was that she was an old woman mm-hmm. but she didn't sound like an old woman no i'm totally with you there but there was actually a piece of trivia that i for- i didn't actually put down on here for some reason but um basically this was a stylistic choice by giant anthony russo where they said that they they didn't really want to use uh, old person makeup like they had done before so they did this um digitally and right, it, I agree. It doesn't look right, no. especially when you sort of you look at it and you you hear her voice, and it's like, well, this is exactly what she sounded like in 1942, yeah, exactly, or 1943, yeah. or whatever. It's like, yeah. mm, no. But in all fairness, you know, CGI aside, that scene, that cut, oh yeah, deep, it was that yeah, cut yeah. so deep, yeah, you know, because it's this. I love the way that they did it. It's like he goes to visit her for the first time in like seventy plus years. She doesn't. She didn't even know he was alive, but he didn't know that at the time. So they're having this conversation about things, and then she suddenly switches and like gets really emotional. Yeah, and she's like, "It's been so long," and you're like, "Oh, oh God, yeah." She's got dementia. Jesus Christ, this is horrible. Mm. Oh man, when when that happened, she started crying. I was like, I was literally like, "Ooh." I'm gonna cry. I think I'm gonna cry. No, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I just choked. So yeah, it was. It, it really. Like, it was a really good performance. Like even just briefly from um, Haley Atwell there, and it was a really good scene. To be fair. Yeah. So after that, we see that Fiore tries to access this USB, um, but it's inaccessible, uh, yeah. and he tells um, this character Alexander Pierce, who he's. He like heads heads up the World Security Council. Um, yes. And Fiori asks him. He puts a request into the council to delay Project Insight because he's mm-hmm. very suspicious at the fact that he can't access this USB. Yeah, because um, a lot of his um, security clearances in this high high tech building have all been over overridden, which yeah. which then uh, transpires that actually the person who's overridden it is himself. Yeah, uh, which is really weird. Yeah, but it obviously shows there's a sleeper agent within Shield. 
Yeah. And then this is um, the next scene we have is that um, Fury is en route to meet with Maria Hill. Um, yeah. When he's attacked by people impersonating policemen. And yeah. we have this huge um, like chase sequence. And this is the, the biggest thing about this film that I liked in comparison to the uh, previous films. I thought every single action sequence in this was brilliant. Um, mm. Yeah, the stakes definitely are ramped up for sure. Uh, it, it makes it more impactful for that reason. Um, I just thought so- that it, it was choreographed really well and yeah um, this is this is the thing that you'll find with joe and anthony russo is that they do know how to direct a really good action sequence their only pitfall is and it's really disappointing for me to have to say this again but there were once um once again another series of rapid cuts during some impossible sequences which i don't know there was a couple of times where uh, black widow does her like trademark you know let's wrap my legs around someone's face and take them down with a you know some sort of grab move and it cuts like three or four times it's not as excessive as it has been as it was in like iron man 2 but Mm. it's still another thing where i'm like okay don't try these impossible things if you can't shoot them in like two shots right like i said it's probably just me being really nitpicky than anything but it's just it's something that takes me out of the out of the action just a little bit especially when everything else like the chase sequences are all shot really well yeah well i'd be interested to hear if um because i'll be honest it's not so much of an issue for me but i would be interested if any of the listeners um get in touch and let us know if it's something that they pick up on as well Oh, absolutely, yeah. Like we, we want to hear some engagement from from the listeners. So, yeah, definitely get in touch with us if you if that is something that is distracting to you, or if it's just me being an absolute, you know, pain in the ass more than anything. <laughs> uh, so after this, uh, well, this is also where we first meet the Winter Soldier. Uh, it yeah. was a good good introduction for him because uh, he just comes out of nowhere and sticks this disc grenade. Actually, the one thing I didn't like, and this comes up later on in the film as well, mm-hmm. um, Nick Fury manages to escape, and then later on in the film, it's um, there's three of them in a in a van, I think, and <laughs> basically they manage to escape by using this laser that cuts through the floor. Yeah, uh, the, the technology um, leaps and bounds in this one is a little bit ridiculous. I well, think, I just but... thought with that, it's like. All right, fine. You've got this laser that can cut through concrete. Anything. Yeah, but how do you know that there's going to be something underneath you to drop into? That's like, very it could just be like five miles of ground. That is actually a common <laughs> criticism with this movie: is that the escape from uh, Nick Fury is somewhat a bit ridiculous, yeah. um, mainly because he's just been flipped over in a car like by an explosive. Yeah, he's, no... he's he's hurt and injured and he can barely move but yet this laser manages to cut through both metal and concrete within seconds of the Winter Soldier coming up to the car and he knows uh, um, uh, a detailed the... account of the city's sewer systems in order to be able to fall down into yeah the only thing you could say about that is he did have a very extensive sat nav on there but it's not likely to show the sewer systems though is it <laughs> 
So, and, and, and unlikely, considering the amount of damage so, that yeah, happened to the car anyway. during that whole thing, um, it's like, well, yeah. So, uh, so Rogers uh, goes back to his apartment and he meets Fiori in there as well, mm -hmm. um, who's injured after falling through the floor. Um, yeah, yeah, I thought this was interesting because the lead up to it was quite well done as well. Where he gets into his apartment building and there's he's having the little, you know, he's having the flirt with his neighbour and all that, and then and then she just happens to mention his radio's still on, and it's like I ain't leave the radio on. Mm. Yeah, so I thought it was, I thought that was quite a good lead up to it as well. Yeah. Um. So Fury is trying to ch talk to Rogers. In a way that doesn't, uh, like, it, it thinks that they might be being spied on or eaves, eavesdropped. Apart. Yeah, he he makes it aware that he thinks Roger's apartment is bugged. Yeah, and um, I think he makes it aware that he bugged his apartment. Yeah, <laughs> um, but despite his best efforts, he still gets shot um, by the Winter Soldier. Yeah, um, and that actually does. Um, well, we think it kills Nick Fury. Um, Rogers goes on the chase after the Winter Soldier. Mm -hmm. um, and we also see that this neighbour of his, Agent 13, is an agent working for S.H.I.E.L.D. to keep an eye on Rogers. Uh, yeah. Uh, so then, yeah, we have this, we have the chase sequence of him going after the Winter Soldier, um, which mm -hmm. is another cool sequence. And... But then eventually we see Fury is in a critical condition in hospital, yep. um, but is he does is he does actually die? Well, we yeah. think he does. And well, yeah, because so, um, Steve and Natasha and Maria are all watching over uh, seeing this happen. Yeah, and to be honest, at, at this point, because only because of um, marketing, I didn't know that Nick Fury does come back in future films. Um, mm. So I was really, I was thinking, wow, I'm going to be really, I'm eager to see how they get out of this or how sure. Nick is actually still alive. And I was thinking, I hope they do a better job than what they did with, um, what's his name? Is it Agent? Um, I mean, Agent Coulson. Yeah. Yeah, that was a really bad, bad way that they did it. I think they... I think they did it slightly better in this one. It sort of oh, made yeah. a, a little bit more yeah, we sense. Can talk, we can talk about it now, but yeah, I, I agree. Um, it, yeah, it did make more sense. So yeah, it, yeah, it's basically he's been given um, a serum that was given to the Incredible Hulk to lower his uh, heart beats per minute to like one and one a minute or something. I'm gonna correct you there because it was actually a serum that was developed by Bruce. Oh right, okay. Yeah, it was to try and keep his um his rage and his heart heart levels obviously his beats per minute down to a level where it wouldn't enact the Hulk to come out. So yeah. Shield obviously took it for their own covert aspirations because it. I think Fury specifically says it didn't work for him, which, I mean that makes sense. So it lowers his heart rate to one beat per minute and mm. obviously puts him into some what looks like he's dead, but it's not. So they then transfer him to some warehouse that S.H.I.E.L.D. has absolutely no idea about and he has to drop off the grid, basically. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah was it was cool. done particularly well. Yeah. Um, what's gonna, that was the thing. Had you not been spoiled... 
for it, obviously, with the marketing material. And admittedly, this is this is probably our problem with the fact that we're watching it late. Uh, but would you have thought that Fury was actually dead if you hadn't have seen it? Yeah. Okay, good. So it may it did make it, the, the fake out a little bit more impactful in that way. Yeah. Okay, well, that's good then. Because I, I definitely thought the same when I first watched the movie. Hmm. Um... Oh, the, oh, yeah. We sh- uh, I should have mentioned earlier that um, just before Nick gets uh, killed, he gives the USB to Steve. Yeah, and, and it's during this he... hospital scenes, isn't it? That he plants yeah. it some. He plants it in a vending machine. Yeah, because he Which gets I caught. Thought was, I thought that was asking for trouble. It it was really, but he had to sort of think on his feet because he gets called by um by Rumlow to basically take him back to Shield to be debriefed by uh, Alexander Pierce. Yeah, and bearing in mind that he's been told not to trust anybody by Fury, uh, I think it's the right. It was the right call, but he realises it's probably the wrong call later on. Yeah, so we can so, get into that. Um, after he's had this brief and he's in the elevator, and yeah, there's a. I like this scene where. He's surrounded by strike operatives and realizes yeah. that they're all in there to arrest him. Or oh, it's whatever. this. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna say now, this scene in particular is the one that everybody talks about as being one of the best in the cinematic universe. It's fantastic. It's brilliantly done. You know, the fact that he obviously gets in at the top floor and then. His old team members like Rumlow turn up, and then a few more of the strike team turn up on the next few floors, and then it becomes yeah. packed. Like it's literally so packed that nobody can move in there. And I just, I absolutely love the line that, that Steve delivers there. It's like, before we get started, does anybody want to get off? Yeah. It's like, oh, it's so good. It's kind think, of like, um, kind of a bit like a James Bond quip. Oh, it really was that. Like this is the thing about it is that I, I think. I think it's the right time to mention this piece of trivia is the fact that Kevin Feige described this movie as a 70s political thriller masquerading as a superhero movie. <laughs> and yeah. it you really get that tone throughout the whole movie. Like Even having um, Robert Redford in here as Alexander Pierce definitely gives off that appearance because obviously he's been in a lot of political thrillers. Yeah. So, uh, and you know, I think it's a line that Rumlow says as well. It's like, nothing personal, Cap. And then he's like, beats him down. He's like, definitely feels personal to me. Yeah. So it's like that, that entire scene. And this, this is one of the very few instances where I will say, like, it's not hyper cut and it's done really, really well despite the tight space that they have. Yeah. So they, they do show they can do a really good choreographed fight scene as well when given the opportunity. So. Uh, yeah. Uh, so after this, um, Rogers goes back to retrieve the USB, and mm-hmm. Romanoff um, has has taken it and yeah. pushes her up against the wall, angrily asking her about um, everything that's happened. And yeah. Um, she reveals that she knows who, like that she's come across the Winter Soldier before. Uh, yeah. Uh, and. They go together to an Apple store to uh, try and find out what what is on this USB. Okay. I have issues with this scene. This is one of the very few that I'm going to bring this up for. <laughs> it kind of makes no sense to me. Uh, fine, they go to the Apple store. It makes... That's 
fine because obviously they're using a public computer so they don't know their location specifically. But it's the line that Natasha says. She's like, once I put this drive in, they're going to know where we are. It's like, how long is that going to take? Oh, about nine minutes. What? What? <laughs> how do they immediately know where you are in nine minutes? Yeah. <laughs> so just, I, I think dialogue choice aside, there's nothing wrong with the scene. It was just that one was like, yeah, I think your government agency would probably track you down in probably about two to three minutes. <laughs> so Yeah. So in the Apple store, they find out where, um, well, the only information they get is tracking the location of where the USB was written. Um, yeah. So they steal a truck and, and drive to um, the camp where um, Chris Evans, Steve Rogers, <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> um, was training in, in World War Two. And yeah. they find, um, after going through uh, un underground, and they find this huge room full of old computers, and mm -hmm. which is an early Shield office, and yeah, they managed to find a modern-looking USB slot that they pop the USB in, and this shows the return of Arnim Zola from the, the previous Captain America. Yeah, and he he tells them that. Um, he was recruited by Shield, and but then also secretly rebuilt Hydra from within Shield, and mm -hmm. that's that. This is the big conspiracy that's that's happening. Yeah. So basically, like, and some of this is kind of true to life as well, with the fact that the U.S. government were uh, recruiting ex-Nazi scientists after after the fall of Nazi Germany. Um, you know this you know are imitating life i guess uh it makes sense you know so they're you know like like you said zola is obviously creating hydra within shield whilst he's doing these experimentations he eventually um he moves his consciousness and his brain and his memories basically to a server farm and it's only when the usb is plugged in that he activates again but then destroy he sort of destroys the entire um server farm doesn't he afterwards yeah so uh, uh really 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 so interesting that this is the angle they decided to go with of how hydra was basically started again after the world after world war Two. yeah I, I i really liked it as a twist though like i was not expecting that at all yeah, yeah, I thought I thought it was a good one actually. It was you know u utilizing the technology and the genius that he that Zola had anyway, and it's it was fitting with his character that he would do something quite like this. Yeah, so and he's basically he's he's basically created this algorithm which will highlight anyone that's a potential threat. Yeah, and as we see later on, this means that. Um, the heli carriers will be able to target the other Avengers that we've come across so far, but mm -hmm. also would would target innocent civilians. Yeah, it's it's basically like Minority Report if Minority Report didn't actually exist as a movie. <laughs> yeah, so um, yeah, it just pretty much preempts that you might actually do something bad and takes you down before you even think of doing it. Yeah. Although I don't, yeah, I don't really get. If that was the case, then oh, I don't really get why Hydra would be targeting 
people that are going to do bad things? I don't know, actually. It's, I guess it's... Popular. Because they're uh, the, doing bad things anyway. I guess so. It's sort of like... But maybe it's like um, the idea of population control so that all that they have left are basically people that are loyal to Hydra. Yeah, yes, yeah. I guess so. I, I'm I'm not too sure of the logistical side of things, but all we know is right, that yeah. they're bad and they want to take everyone out. Cool. Yeah. You know, yeah. Stakes are risen. Yeah. That's that's where we need to go. Yeah. But it's also said we should also say that he was behind the Winter Soldier program. Just how the yes. Winter, Winter Soldier was created. Yeah, um, and and we should actually really go into this actually because we haven't really discussed this because the first fight sequence that you have between. Cap and the Winter Soldier, he actually gets demasked, and uh, Steve knows who he is, obviously, and it's Bucky Barnes. So, uh, obviously, the first Avenger was a thing, you know. We know who Bucky is, he was the one who fell off the train in, um, near to the end of the first Avenger. But they go into this backstory of uh, he was found by Hydra uh, in the snow during the experimentations that Zola was doing on them when the unit got captured might have led to him uh, potentially having something in his DNA that meant that he could survive the fall, whereas no one else could. Uh, they experimented on him and turned him into uh, the world-renowned assassin known as the Winter Soldier. Yeah. So, very, very interesting, but I don't know, I just... I'm not a big fan of the Winter Soldier as a character, even from the comic book days. I think he's a right. bit dull. Um, yeah. But I think they do enough in this film to to make him a good antagonist, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree. Mm. It's certainly seem worse. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we've... um. <laughs> No, I'm not even going to mention it. I was going to start going down the whole uh, Natalie Portman, Jane Foster thing again, but I think we beat a dead horse enough last week, <laughs> last time. <laughs> uh, so, um, we see that um, uh, Yuri is in this... Well, yeah, we go back and we find out how... Um, Fury is actually still alive, as we alluded to earlier. Yeah, we gave that um, explanation after. So. Yeah. Well, then we so they're they're in this um, secret facility, and yep. um, the, basically the the next mission that they've got to undertake is to get on these heli carriers and plug in one of these chips, which will yep. basically reverse the whatever reverse the program that's going to kill all the people and make them target the other heli carriers and destroy yeah. them. Yeah, so they need to override the algorithm that was written by Zola that targets the vast majority of the population and only target the uh, the targeting system of each of the helicarriers. Yeah. Um, but it's made very, very clear that this only works if all three are plugged in at, uh, at the same time. So if two of them gets done but one doesn't, then it's over. So yeah. real stakes right there. Yeah. I've, I, that's the thing I found with this one. I think Joe and Anthony Russo and to, by extension Stephen McFeely and um, uh, is this the, yeah Stephen McFeely and Christopher Marcus the screenwriters really knew how to write stakes and it's good because like, I, I find that certain movies within the MCU they just they raise the stakes but they don't know how to have the impact that it 
it should and this one really has the impact of this could end the whole world you know mm. sort of thing I, I thought it was really well done actually no, another really good uh, example of good good screenwriting yeah so, so we we see them go back to the uh, Triskelion where the helicarriers are yeah um, and they're going on to infiltrate each of them yep um once they get in there, they go on like the loudspeaker. Um, well, Steve Rogers does, and yeah, tells all the all the workers in there what the situation is. That um, like tells them about this um, project insight and mm -hmm. yeah, everything. <laughs> yeah, he tells um, them about the Hydra agents working within Shield, and then yeah, and that so, yeah, whole... basically said don't don't. Don't set off those helicarriers. Yeah. Um, but eventually, we we see that um, one of the like uh, his name's Cam Cameron Clark. Oh no, sorry, Rumlow. Yeah. Um, he threatens one of the workers, and the very brave worker says no, but um, mm. he still manages to like, launch the helicarriers anyway. Yeah, I think. Wasn't there a thing that Alexander Pierce also had an override for it as well? Yes. Yeah, so even with Rumlow's help, it still required Pierce to actually set it off properly because, you know, up until that point, Pierce was kind of a a, a, a moral grey area sort of character and then he did this sort of heel turn and just, you know full well that he's a villain and then they really yeah. play up into that for the rest of the movie. Yeah. So, which... I mean, that's a very typical trope for a political thriller, so I see no issue with it. But yeah, when it, when that heel turn really does happen, he goes full villain. It's it's quite interesting how quickly they turn him over into like villainry. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I think I think this is good because obviously it just it shows then that you know Shield and Hydra are obviously interconnected in some way, but. This means that there are people within Shield who didn't know about Hydra who are then looking at every single one of their colleagues, like wondering who yeah. to trust. And yeah. this is the great thing about it is that it just causes all-out chaos, so that obviously Steve, Natasha, and um, and Sam can go and do their thing. Yeah, it's so a think good we... moment where um, Sam and um, Rogers uh, are about to just enter some enter a big fight sequence and uh, yeah. Rogers says to uh, sorry Sam says to Rogers uh, who are the bad guys and Rogers <laughs> yeah. says the ones that are shooting at you or something uh, like that yeah if they're shooting at you they're bad guys yeah <laughs> it's a, it is a good line it's like well okay Sam is not exactly as battle weary as um as Cap is he's done service I don't uh, just to sort of rewind it slightly it was the reveal obviously about him not being a fighter pilot oh, yeah was yeah, a good yeah. one as well when you find out that he actually has a wingsuit i thought yeah. that was cool he was like um what was what's the line that cap says he's like he says you didn't tell me that you flew he's like you did i didn't tell you i wasn't a pilot or something like that yeah. <laughs> it's like oh it's so good like just just that really snappy dialogue between cap and and sam is i think it's a highlight for me i think it's one of my favorite things about this movie yeah they're a good partnership yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, going back to um, 
the ch tell what's it called? Tra where the helicarrier is. The Trevelyan. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. We see that the alpha level clearance mm -hmm. um, is what's needed in order to disable the in encryption. So, yeah. Um, yeah, these files can be uploaded. Uh, and there's only Fury and um, uh, Alexander Pierce got the alpha level clearance. Yeah, of course. Um, I think there is a thing that it does require board level approval, though, doesn't it? Which is why they have that uh, the list the the members of board uh, with Alexander Pierce in that boardroom. Yeah. Um, which uh, we can go into, obviously, but he has actually he's put a piece of technology onto them that that enables their compliance. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'd say the problem. This was the only confusing part of the film for me. I'd say. Okay, and what what was confusing? Uh, I don't. I, this, I want, well, I don't know. Confusing might be harsh. I probably could just do with a a rewatch of it. Like I don't want to be overly harsh on it. Um, okay. But yeah, it, it, I, I kind of got lost a little with well anything that was set in this World Security Council part of the building. Sure. Um, I think they're a little bit vague, and they're probably meant to be vague because they're not supposed to be like a main focus. I don't know, mm. but I do agree with you that the World Council doesn't really get a lot of backstory at all, because we've seen them in certain uh, in films now, with with the fact that obviously they're in the Avengers and they make the decision to bomb uh, to nuke New York, and they're in this, and you know they're trying to obviously advise against you know Hydra and Shield and all that sort of thing. It's just I don't think they get enough explanation. To know why those board members are in are in that room at that time with with Pierce, mm. so it, I I agree with you, and I've watched this four times, and there's still not enough explanation for me, so I can understand the confusion. Yeah. So, so um, Rogers and Wilson they managed to reasonably easily get the chips uploaded to two of the helicarriers but then it's on the last one where they have a bit more trouble as that's where mm -hmm. um, well for a start um, Sam's wingsuit gets damaged um, and yeah. then secondly on this last one it's where the Winter Soldier is that um, Steve's got to to face in a final battle yeah uh, and uh, roughly at the same time as well, even though he's grounded, um, Rumlow manages to escape and manages to find Sam, and they have a really good fight sequence between them as well. Oh, yeah. yeah even yeah. though it's like you don't see as much of it as you do with um, Cap and the Winter Soldier, but it's an, it is another really good sequence with, yeah, okay, they're just hand to handing, but, you know, it's, you know, <laughs> it's two soldiers, you know. Without without their um, without the guns or their their equipment, so of course they can yeah. do that. You know, Sam yeah. wants to take down Hydra and Rumlow wants to take down Falcon, so it's personal at this point. Yeah, uh, um, yeah. I think the fight on the on the helicarrier itself between Cap and Winter Soldier is all right. It's not. Yeah. 
it's not fantastic because it start for me i think it starts to devolve into tropiness towards the end where it's like oh you know who i am and all that sort of thing it's like it fits the theme of the movie with the fact that obviously he does manage to get through to bucky at one point mm. which means he has to then be reprogrammed yeah but he doesn't fully get reprogrammed like he doesn't fully like snap out of it does he so he's still part of the winter soldier but he rec- he obviously recognizes certain speech or certain words that have been said obviously yeah. by himself that cap then obviously recounts like because uh, I'll be with you till the very end is a, obviously a line that they show in the in the movie as Bucky saying that to Cap. Yeah. So, I mean... Yeah, it, I do have to say... Yeah, I know what you mean. I, I have to say that um, like it was like a bit choky when um, he says, says that to him just mm. before um, he plummets down into the sea. Yeah. Um, I thought that anyway. I, I I think it's a bit tropey to be honest. It was, I I, I get that obviously the Winter Soldier's not going to kill Cap because then you you kind of ruin one pillar of your your Avengers team ups. But um, I mean, he looks pretty dead, and then he gets thrown into the sea, and then uh, obviously um, obviously saves uh, Bucky saves him. But for me, one of the things that makes me laugh about this is that those helicarriers are over Washington, D.C., and yet all this destruction doesn't ruin any part of D.C. Uh, apart from the building that they're all in. <laughs> yeah. yeah, It's like, it's all... <laughs> it's all centralised to that building and the water that surrounds it. It's mm. very, very strange, but... It's lucky. Very lucky. Yeah. Also, what is very, very lucky is uh, that piece of technology that Natasha has. Oh, yes, yeah. Yeah, the face... Dis- uh, the, the Yeah. Um, yeah I, I don't very... know what to call it. It's like... It, it, it's a disguise... It's something that's used to disguise your face, obviously, to make it look like someone else, but it looks like a piece of plastic. It's yeah. like... It's so weird. But Yeah, I wasn't... I wasn't a fan of that. No, because... Uh, I'm just going to tell you now, I don't think that piece of technology is ever used again, yet it is incredibly useful. <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know. But yeah, I think we're mostly at the end of the movie now by this point, aren't we, where everything's yeah. pretty much in tatters for some people. Mm. So, S.H.I.E.L.D. is Shield is done. Uh, Hydra is basically done as well, in some degree. Um, and it's just... I think the thing about this is it throws a lot of chaos into what was uh, the MCU was quite playing it safe at that point and then you know you have this massive political thriller that's literally used to change the landscape of the entire MCU I think at this point yeah definitely okay so what- yeah I thought yeah so it's yeah like overall I thought it was a big step up from the previous films in the mm. As you say, this the stakes are high, and it really does, um, it really does change the whole situation. Like it's kind of, it, it, Shield's got to start from scratch now, and yeah, it, it's, it's interesting to see. Yeah, as you say, it's like a, a political thriller. Um, mm-hmm. There's something, it's like a rat inside, um, yeah. of Shield. And it's interesting that it's it's not your normal superhero film from that 
point of view it's it's adding a new plot line to mm-hmm. a superhero film that I've never seen before anyway. Oh, of um, course, yeah. And I've I, it's seen in other genres, but uh, but yeah. Yeah, superhero movies tend to stay in their own lane usually. It's like, okay, this is a superhero movie, so you're going to have superhero tropes, you know, uh, yeah. big but big action, you know, explosions and all that sort of thing. This one is a lot more nuanced, and that's what I really like about it is that yeah, like like we said, it is a political thriller as a as a superhero movie. And yeah. the subject material well, is has been played to death, let's be honest, but it does it well. Like it's not yeah, yeah. it's not claiming to be original, but it does it well no. enough and it's it's a really, really entertaining movie. Like the fact that this movie is like over well over two hours and it breezes by. It is yeah, it's just yeah. an enjoyable ride. It's like and I the fact that I watched this over a week ago, because I'll be honest, I forgot our recording date. Uh, and <laughs> It's just, I, I still remember all of this, like, really, really clearly, whereas obviously last time, when we were trying to describe For the Dark World, we were both like, what happened? Yeah. You know, this one was so much more clearer, so much more concise, so much more energetic, but it was also more impactful, it had a lot more theming going for it, and the characters are given a huge amount of, like, screen time to actually just build on what's already there and then the new characters that are introduced are introduced really really well yeah it's just it, I can't it, disagree it's just I wouldn't say it's a master stroke because no. there are there, there's criticism that could be made for it but it's just I think it's without a doubt probably the best movie in the MCU at this point for me yeah, anyway for, and I know you said that at the beginning yeah. yeah so what what would you score this um probably like a Four out of five, maybe oh. even, yeah, four out of five. I think that's fair. I was going to say five, but I think that's pushing it. I'm well. I'm I'm going to go a four point five out of five because I think this is as close, yeah, close as you're going to get. Yeah, yeah. I didn't. I couldn't remember if we was doing point fives or not, but yeah, I'd say four point five then. Yeah, for sure. I think it's going to be one of the few times that we actually do agree on the rating because this, like I said, it's just an entertaining movie. Yeah. So, um, what were the post-credit sequences? Because there were two, wasn't there? It's, yeah, there's one where we see the Scepter inside of um, a Hydra base. Yep. Um, oh um, yes, and you see two characters there that you won't know who they are. Yeah, and we and like we see these two cells. One's got a man in and a, and a woman. Yep. And um, they've got different powers. Mm-hmm. Um, now, uh, I'm going to ask you, do you happen to know who these characters are? No, no idea. Okay, good. Because uh, I thought that might... I thought one particular thing might have been a bit of a giveaway, but I'm glad that it wasn't. Right. So, uh, the second post credit sequence was... Oh, God. Here I was saying about like this movie being uh, memorable, and now I can't oh, even remember um, the final scene. It's, it's Barnes, and he's, he's in the... Um... Captain America Museum. Oh, and he's just looking yeah. at himself. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. I've got no, not really got much else to say other than one piece of trivia to end this off. Um, did you know that Anthony Mackie was a huge fan of Marvel? And he wrote a series of emails to them wanting to play a comic book character on film. 
though the studio repeatedly replied to him that they would respond in due time, Mackie's emails caught the attention of Kevin Feige. Right. So, it, it shows that you can Andy Dufresne anything. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, that's a Shawshank reference if anyone didn't know it. <laughs> okay, right. so... Um, right. So I think that's going to close us out, isn't it? So that's my, yeah, that's right. Uh, so we are now going to move on to, obviously, episode 11, uh, which will be the next one. So I I think I'm going to bring this up. So I don't know why I never do this. I never bring up the phase just before, but I'm sure I know what the, the actual um, film is. So bear with me. Um, yep, it was. The next one that we've got, and this will be next... Uh, Next episode is the 2014 movie by James Gunn, Guardians of the Galaxy. I'm not going to say anything more than that. So, right. So, uh, if they want to contact us in the meantime, give us some feedback, some criticism, or tell us why we're why we're awesome, which is not the case. But carry on. So, where Uh, would they be able to find us? uh, So, on Twitter, we are at Neverwatchers, and you can also send us an email at the neverwatches at gmail.com yep um if you want to follow me on twitter i am uh, at angry underscore kurt yep and if you wanted to follow myself uh you can do so at pete beckett one which is uh spelt b-e-c-k-e-t-t and the number one and that's on twitter so uh until next time where we cover uh episode 11's guardians of the galaxy we will see you then take care bye bye